Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Talent Factor Podcast. My name is Trey Talley, the L&D Dude. And I'm Veronica Reed, the HR Millennial, and we want to help you multiply your impact by maximizing your talent. On this episode, we will be chatting with Rance Green, author of Instructional Story Design, which will, which will be released on April 7th, 2020. In order for us to really delve into story design, we decided to split the material into two episodes. So please make sure you stay tuned for the second part of our episode that will be released soon. So welcome to episode one and welcome to Rance Green. Yay! Thank you, Trey. Thank you, Veronica. It's good to be here. We are very glad to have you here. Now, obviously, we're going to talk about story design, but before we do, we want to talk a little bit about Rance. So tell us about yourself and your career journey. Sure. Um, I get asked that question a lot. Hey, how did you get into storytelling? And especially in talent development. And uh, I have actually a background in theater. I have a degree in acting and a master's in choreography. Love it. And I ended up um, going to New York City and had an encounter with God there that completely changed the projection of my uh, career and ended up um, ministering to inner city youth in New York City and ended up uh, having the way I taught these kids was through stories. And of course, the Bible is like this treasure trove of stories, so which is awesome. Um, and I, <clears throat> from there, I um, moved when I, when I finally entered into the talent development space, I brought all of that with me, all of this storytelling experience and all of this um, kind of background in the arts and began to design a training around stories. And, and, and that's how a little bit of a circuitous route to this. To it this makes field. for a great story, though. Thank right. You. It makes for a great story, which is perfect. Thanks. Yeah. So I know you kind of spoke on this a little bit, but how did you discover story design? Oh, the story of story design. Um, I write stories intuitively. And so when I was designing training um, and designing stories for training, it was just like, you know, second nature. Yeah, of course I do this. This is, you know, you have these characters, you put them in conflict and there you go. And, but when I started sharing these um, examples of training with other people, they were like, how do you do this? And I was like, I don't know. I actually don't know. And I spent some time in self-reflection, trying to figure out what do I actually do when I create these stories? And... Out of that self-reflection came this model of story design. And I was like, hey, let me try this out and see if it actually works. Let me see if I can teach other people how to do this effectively. And I began to, to host some workshops, just online workshops. So people started attending the workshops and they took off and people began to design training that was story-centered, just using these very simple principles. Um, some, some of my success stories um, of people who have applied story design to their, their programs um, are case studies in, 
um, the book, that um, instructional story design. Um, so I'm really happy that folks were e able to easily grasp the concepts and then implement them right away when they went back to work. Um, and that is how story design came to be. That's awesome. This, that was the, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end to the story of story design. That's perfect. Thank it's you. always interesting to hear that self-reflective process because you, you're doing something intuitively that's just a part of rants, right? Your, your style and what you bring to the job. And then people are like, how do you do that? And you go, I don't know. I have to. And then you have to think, how do I do that? It just comes naturally. I love that. You know, Trey, um, about self-reflection, um, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that we undervalue self-reflection in training. Um, and when we present a story, that gives your audience, your learners, a great chance to do some self-reflection. Um, and that kind of emotional connection that you make um, is so important. So, yeah, yeah, in real life it's good and also in training Self-reflection is awesome. Well, we've heard that phrase, psychological safety, right, as far as being in the space. And I feel like sometimes story is that circuitous route to being able to self-reflect in a safer way because it's easy for me to make an observation about a character. And then I go, oh, that applies to me as well, as opposed to if you just said, what do you need to do differently? That's a harder question. That's very well put. So for you, you had a lot of success with teaching people how to do this. Why did you feel like this book was important to write? Storytelling is so powerful. We're humans. We talk in the language of stories. And so many people struggle to use this tool in our toolkit to, to make training even more effective. And we hear a lot of buzz about storytelling. We hear why it's so good and how we should be using it. But we have very little content out there that's like practical step by steps. Here's yeah. how you do it. And so I felt like I feel like this is kind of my contribution to the field of just here's here's how I do it. Um, I think that you could do this, too, if you just, you know, follow some very simple steps. That's awesome. It sounds like me and Kale. Right. Like I know that kale is a great idea, but I don't know how to cook with it. And if somebody gave me a recipe for cooking with kale, I'd probably eat it more. And so we all knew story design was a great idea. Oh, you Trey. gave us a recipe book that said, we know, you know, it's a good idea. Here's how to actually cook it up, serve it up and let people like it. And hopefully it's a lot more appetizing than kale. Hopefully so. Hopefully so. Dear dear kale growers of America, we apologize Trey, for our slant. This is not slant. a podcast about kale. It could be. We no. could let's, let's take it there right now. Okay. We'll, we'll go back to story design. How, how about you segue us into the next part of our uh, interview? Wonderful. So one of the great things about instructional story design once you read it, listeners, you'll know for yourself, it's divided into four sections. And the, the story design process or the model actually follows and mirrors instructional design, specifically the Addy model, which is pretty cool. Um, and so the first part in this book is the discover phase, which correlates with the analysis phase of the Addy model. So that's one of the really key and cool things about this book for the learners, so you know that. So, you know, we know, I'll, I'll know, use, a, use some sort of a model for instructional design. 
So that model is appropriate for all kinds of creating all kinds of different trainings. And I think people would maybe ask the question, are stories appropriate for any kind of training? For example, are they more suited for one type of training over another, or are they pretty universal? I'm glad you brought up analysis, Veronica, because that's where you find out um, what is appropriate and what isn't. Um, just a blanket statement. I don't think stories are ever a bad idea in training. I don't care if you are training for soft skills, training for systems, training, whatever it is, you always need context. Always. In instructional design, you yeah. always need context. And stories are the ultimate context builder. Um, so I would say, really, there's no training that can't handle a story. And there's no training that story can't handle. Um, so I would, I would say that some, some training, yeah, is kind of like very quick and easy to identify that, yes, a story would be great here because we're dealing with interpersonal conflicts, you know, or we're dealing with culture issues that can really only be conveyed in that kind of gray area of real life, of real life context. Um, so those are great uses of stories, but certainly... Uh, uh, systems training or technical training, um, there are consequences for doing things wrong. Um, if you are doing systems training, there are people who are affected. It really does come down to that human level. Um, so I would say in the analysis phase, you're identifying what those are. Um, you're identifying who that audience is and what you're asking them to do. And there's, it's always action driven. Instructional design should always be action-driven, mm -hmm. um, and stories also are action-driven, so there's a, a natural fit. That's awesome. Yeah, a, a story without action is a really boring story. <laughs> Indeed. It is. So um, after reading your book, one quote that really kind of stood out to me, or kind of one part, was designing importance into training through storytelling positively affects learners' attitudes towards behavior change. So my question for you is, why is that important to understand during the discover phase? Like, why should we understand that before we, you know, get to the designing phase? Yeah, that's a great, a great question, Veronica. Um, when we are collecting the actions that we are asking people to take as a result of training, a lot of times things will slip in there. Like um, it's important for you not to post offensive material on social media. Well, there's a lot of problems with that one little statement, but one of the things that you want to drill down into is why, why is that important? Um, and then once you have that nugget of importance, that really doesn't belong. That's really not a performance objective. That's a why. And so that belongs on this separate little list. And I call it the PIBs. The PIBs. The PIBs. Yeah. Is that the soda PIB? Dr. PIBs. Dr. PIBs. <laughs> it is not Mr. PIBs or Dr. PIBs. It, it, is, um, it is purpose, importance, benefits, and similar to, or you could call that metaphor. And these are pieces of information that you're collecting during that discover phase that don't necessarily belong on your, I call it an action list. Um, some people call it performance objectives, but I like to use very simple terms for myself and to remind my stakeholders that what we're, we're actually asking people to do things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so 
the importance category um, are is incredibly important because if you are able to capture um, why this training is so important, then you're able to give motivation to your characters. And that formulates a lot of um, character development when you get into the design phase. That's awesome. Sorry. That's really good. I think sometimes that's the thing that training lacks, right? We tell them what to do. We teach them how to do it. But we don't help them think through what happens if you do this? What happens if you don't do this? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a, it's a skill where there are people doing a job on either side of you depending on your ability to do your job right. And that, just that simple fact changes things for me. Yeah. You know, somebody goes, hey, you, if, you, if you mess this up, it really, it really complicates Veronica's day. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, well, I don't want to complicate Veronica's day. Please don't I'm, complicate my day. Well, I, I already <laughs> do that on a regular basis. I regularly complicate your day. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, though, because, yes, um, it's important for the story that you get those, that importance information. But as you said, it's also important for the learner mm-hmm. um, because if they know the why behind it, it does increase that motivation for them to actually complete what you've asked them to do. There's that emotional, it really drives the emotional connection. Yep, absolutely. Sure. Well, it's time for our segment with Rance. Yay, and and fun. you can't see it uh, in the podcast, but he's a, sli- a slight bit nervous because <laughs> we said we're doing a segment and that's all we told him. So we have Rance here who is our SME for storytelling and we are going to put his skills to the test. <laughs> for this segment, we're going to improvise a story, the three of us. Uh, it's kind of like that three-headed monster bit from uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Right. It's kind of going back to the improv days in theater. It you is. Know, wonderful. It yeah. is. Wait, wait. Now, I know Rance has a theater background. I have a theater background. Veronica? Well, you know, I was in a couple of school plays, you know, elementary. I don't know if that truly counts. You um, know what also doesn't count? What? If people call you a drama queen, that doesn't count as theater experience well, either. Well, no, I was never a drama queen, but, you know, I, I had a, a couple of lines in the play, you know, we'll count back it. in my day. Okay, so three <laughs> theater professionals. I wouldn't say I was a professional. <laughs> improvising our scene. Now, our scene is going to be pretty close to real life. We're going to take a scene with a difficult smee. Story about a difficult Smee. Wonderful. Yes. So Veronica will begin, then I'll add the next part, you'll add the next part, back to Veronica, and so on. Okay, I'm ready. Yes. All right. So once upon a time, Carolyn, an instructional designer, was tasked with updating compliance training. Then Carolyn crossed a bridge, a magical bridge, because this is a story, and it started once upon a time. She crossed the magical bridge, and on the other side of the magical bridge, Caroline ran into Georgina. Georgina, the difficult Smee, and she said, I will not help thee, Caroline. Then she looked at Caroline with anger and anger and anger in her eyes and said, Who do you think you are coming over here? Asking me for what? What do you what do we want? What do you want from me, huh? And Carolyn said, I'd just like to ask you a few questions about the compliance training. Okay. Um, what is it that you want? 
Well, I, I wanted to know, what are you expecting learners to do as a result of this training? And Georgina, the, the mean SME, said, follow the policies. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, all right. Well, maybe we could drill down into that a little bit and, um, and put some action to that. So uh, Carolyn asked her a couple of questions, and she, she used this methodical way of asking these questions. She asked personal opinions. Mm-hmm. She asked if she had some real stories that she could share. She asked, you know, what are your initial indicators that there's even a problem here? And she asked, uh, what about metrics? Could we, could we get a hold of some metrics um, or, or some examples? Or maybe there's some things going on in the workplace that don't even apply, um, that training can't even help with, but maybe they could be fixed out in the business. And to her shock and awe, Georgina began to, to be tame and, and cooperative. Ah, This is magical, after all. <laughs> it right, because we crossed a magical bridge. Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> sure, where the bridge came from. Over all to right. you, Veronica. So, Carolyn told all night to create the storyboard for this training. And she was very excited about the finished product. And she hands it over to Georgina, who says... I have never loved compliance training so much in my entire life. When you first crossed that bridge, Carolyn, I wanted nothing to do with you. I thought you were just there to ask me a bunch of questions and find out why I wasn't doing something and how you were going to fix it. But here's what I realized. You actually care about me as a person. You care about the people I care about. And you want me to do a good job. I realized just then, Carolyn, we're on the same team. And now, I consider us to be partners. Oh, it's wonderful. And they lived happily ever after. Now, that was a very bad story because there wasn't enough conflict in it. But you know what? I I like because I was able to plug the primed model in there. there <laughs> Look you at go. you go. That's awesome. There you go. Well, thank you, Rand, so much for participating <laughs> in our foolishness. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> kind of took us back to those improv days, you know, in like drama class where they made you do like improv. You had to go around. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. Always fun. Mm-hmm. I just I, said yes to the magical bridge. Even though I was <laughs> like, where, where is did they he come going from? with this? <laughs> yes. That's usually what people ask. Where is he going with yeah, this? Yeah, I was <laughs> very confused. I was like, okay. This is bridge. not just compliance training. This is magical compliance training. Oh, nice. Elevated. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we're, we're turning frogs to princes over here, people. <laughs> All right, well, let, let's segue back into our conversation about story design. The second part of the book is the design phase, which correlates with the design phase of the Addy model. So during this part, you really go into detail about creating relatable characters and strong conflict, just like you just mentioned. So do stories for training, do they have to contain conflict? I mean, somebody would probably say, well, can't I just show an example of how to do things correctly? I've been asked that many times, and the answer is you always have to have conflict. Mm. You can never just tell a story and have no conflict. That's arguably not even a story. Um, And stories that have or 
narratives that have no conflict, you know, they come in your brain and then they quickly leave your brain. There's no friction. There's no, you know, you don't really have to think because everything's going hunky-dory um, for this person. And so what? I don't care. I don't really need to care. There's nothing really to solve here. Let's move on. Yeah, it, it's that whole thing of tension and resolution. Mm-hmm. We avoid tension, but then we, we, we lose the payoff of the resolution, right? Yes, yes, and I'm glad you brought up resolution because that's a key part of the model is, you know, relatable characters plus strong conflict equal... Oh, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> I, but it's like, it's a desire to... Yes, for Keep going. Desire for resolution. Yes, a desire, yes. For, resolution. desire for resolution. She's That's like, awesome. on the spot. Yes. 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 Okay, I, so yeah, a desire for resolution. That's exactly what you want to create. And everything going well will not create a desire for resolution yeah, because there's nothing boring. to resolve. Yeah. Yeah. It's like mystery too, right? Mystery is a very powerful thing because as soon as you introduce mystery, we as people, as human beings, want to know the answer to the mystery. And so we stay stay connected. Yes. We think conflict in a story will push people away from the story, but does it actually draw them in? It does. It draws them in. And, and think about it. Training itself is a model for conflict. There's a problem. There's a lack of knowledge. There's a lack of skill. Something is wrong in the workplace, and that is what you're trying to resolve in real life. So in real life, there is conflict, and it needs to be reflected in the story. You can't just say, well, you know, this manager, you know, has incredible communication skills. Look how they do it with this person. <laughs> and this, you know, there needs to be some not so great communication skills so that the learner has some friction to work with. That's awesome. So we've talked about kind of one side of the model, the conflict. So what goes along with that is the relatable characters. So how do you create characters that people can relate to? And why is that important to do so? Well, think about a story that you've seen um, or a movie or something, and it's a story where the characters are involved in something that is completely outside of your experience and even outside of your interest. Um, And you, you stop watching the movie like halfway through, right? So there needs to be um, a relatableness to the characters. I think we all agree, agree with that. Um, and part of the, the discover phase is creating this audience profile. And in this audience profile, you're gathering not just, you know, what do they already know, you know, which is important for instructional design, but you're also gathering things like, you know, what do they fear? What is their, um, uh, what are their current circumstances? How are they reacting to those circumstances? And these questions really form like the psyche of your character and what is going on in the mind of your character. Then you're able to create a character that is in a similar situation as your learner, is thinking in a similar way as your learner, and then you're able to, um, then, then they can connect. They connect with the characters in that way. Um, it's not, in the book, there are some, some ways to bring that out, some steps to take to make sure that you're connecting with that audience more solidly. Um, so you're not just left alone and say, okay, go create some relatable characters. There's actually some guideposts that take you through those steps of creating those relatable characters. Yeah, if you've never done that, that 
it can be really challenging. I mean, that's one of the most challenging tasks they give you in a theater class is this is your character. You're like, okay, cool. They're, they came from here and they did this. Like, okay, but how would he feel if this happened to him? I don't know. Tell me how. No, it's your job is to develop that character. And so think about what's, what, what's the cheesy line? We all goes, what's my motivation? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. What motivates these learners, yeah. these people that you're training? Yeah, that's true. And, if, and the, the more intimately you know this, this audience, the more realistic your characters are going to be. And I, I say realistic um, because I get asked a lot, you know, what about stock characters? Can we just use stock characters, um, stereotypes and that kind of things? And there is always a place, you know, for that kind of a character. But I really try to uh, steer people toward creating a character that has flesh and blood and, and looks and feels and, um, and acts in a way that real people do, you know. Um, sometimes I want to give, you know, like uh, names to the characters, like um, uh, folks who've taken my workshop, you know, like, can I name them, you know, Tammy talks a lot or things like that. And you could, but um, there are, but as soon as you take that away and just say, Tammy, she becomes more real um, instead of a, a caricature. That's what I was just thinking, the difference between a a character and a person. You're doing character development, but you're trying to to depict a person. So when it comes to, you know, making them relatable and making them realistic, is there such a thing as making either the situation of the story or the character too realistic so that it becomes too close to the actual situation? I think that the most uh, that the closer you get it to reality um, I you know I really think it depends on your audience again like who is your audience yeah um, so to just as an example I designed this one course um, for an an audience that was um, really struggling with teamwork and they were um, uh, with some compliance issues and just some uh, basic uh, communication skills that were lacking there and so they wanted um, us to come in and present something that was, in their minds, a slap on the wrist, right? That's the last thing that we wanted to do. Yep. Um, so we created a story that took place in a coffee shop. And I, I tell about this story in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are these four employees um, who are in this coffee shop, and they are um, representative of you know the different types of people that would represent our audience that we were going to be speaking to and their conflicts were very similar, but their, their, the setting was in a completely different place. So in a way it was a metaphor. It was a metaphor for what was happening in the workplace and it gave them that necessary distance to, to, um, to really discover for themselves what they needed to change in their own behaviors um, which was cool because, I mean, in that situation, it was kind of sensitive. So you did kind of want to put it outside of them a little more. So you kind of found that balance between the, the realistic characters and situation and that necessary distance that allows them to, yes. to embrace it. And the real cool thing about that Love story that. was um, they actually referenced the story that you created for them. Like if somebody was doing something, they would reference like, let's not be the coffee shop. So that was pretty cool. Yes. And that was months later, months later, you know, they were saying, remember the coffee shop whenever they saw themselves kind of steering off course. 
pretty cool. That's awesome. Cool. It Made almost gives that that shared language too. Yeah. You know, sometimes that could be a very powerful connector between people as yes. having shared language. Right. Yes. That's really cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I love that. Yep. Well, we're we're kind of coming to the end of the episode, but is there anything about the discover or design phase that we we didn't get to cover that you want to speak to? Sure, sure. Um, in the in the last chapters of the design uh, or the last chapter. Um, just so, you know, people have a comfort level for coming into story design. Um, it is a methodology. And if you just follow the steps um, and tie it to what you're doing already in, instru- in instructional design, it's really going to be um, not that difficult to take that leap into the creative sphere. And so when it comes to actually writing the story, there's a lot in the book that just it helps you walk through how to design a good story um, from the story premise and then putting and then putting those characters that you've created into that conflict in a way that will um, really connect uh, firmly to the learning objectives or the performance objectives. That's awesome. I love story. It's a good thing. My I kids ask for it all too. the time. I'm sure they ask you for stories all the time. They do. And then sometimes they'll ask me, will you tell that story again? Like two days later. And I'm like, I don't remember that story. (laughs) (laughs) My kids always ask me to tell stories like, you know, not from a book. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, I have these different characters that I play with my kids, you know, so toothbrush man and, you know, Tony from Brooklyn has to visit the house every (laughs) once in a while. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. One of our recurring characters is the Geico lizard the geico gecko oh my goodness i know i did one story one time do you do the voice and everything i do but my british accent is like day-to-day good <laughs> like one day it's awesome and the next day you're like is he from new zealand or australia i don't know but absolutely so we'll have more with rants on our next episode of the talent factor podcast in the meantime please make sure to pre-order his book instructional Des- story design now you can find it on amazon Barnes & Noble, ATD. Basically, anywhere books are sold, good books, you're going to find this book. Order it, do it, read it, and then come back for the second episode with Rance as we talk about the second half of the book. For bonus content, click subscribe in your podcast app, plus follow and like us on social media. I'm Trey Talley. And I'm Veronica Reed. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Talent Factor Podcast.